A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and then there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to, and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. And I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven, and our risen and living Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we began a four-week series we're calling, Where is My Neighbor? And Pastor Matt so eloquently shared about how we find the neighbor just at the tip of our nose. The ones right in front of us are our neighbors. The first ones we meet. Our neighbors are people we meet, people we see, who at times need our time and attention and help and more. And as you heard this week, the church has been filled with families here for Vacation Bible School. We had three- and four-year-olds participate with moms and dads and aunts and kids from ages 5 to 10, singing and dancing and creating and learning. We had assistance from our middle schoolers helping to lead the younger ones from station to station. We had young adults planning and decorating and leading the day's events and great adult leaders who helped it all come together. So thank you for this special time as we taught about how God is always good. 
And I've often shared that uh, for me, my first ministry is to my family. To the people who live in my house, the ones under my immediate care. Those are special neighbors, right? An extended family, well, yeah, that can be more difficult. But just as all good gifts come from God, it's important that we care for all those special people that God has entrusted to us, like it or not. There may be exceptions when abuse and violence cut family ties, when conflict is so deep and suffering occurs, a safe distance is necessary. But I want to look at this example of a family that Jesus shares in this well-known story. You might call it the the prodigal son. You might call it the... uh, lost and found son, you might call it the welcoming father. This story comes in the context of two other parables, stories that have a meaning or several meanings, and we can find many truths here for sure. We hear the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and now a lost son. And together Jesus uses these stories to teach about God's deep love and extreme grace, painting a picture of the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Not kingdom. Kingdom. Is that strange? Kingdom is surely the word we hear in scripture, right? And there are many kings throughout the Bible. Most often they are, they are the oppressors in the stories of ancient Israel. The images in the gospel as well as in the book of Acts and Paul's letters present a different kind of reality. Where those who hear God's word and obey are truly family. Where people on the margins are included, where those in need are fed, the sick are healed, and every need met. In this kingdom, relationships are intentional, centered in human need, and also in God's grace, in faith, and in love. Author Ellen Stevens writes that providing an impetus for reconstituting family, not as authoritarian or patriarchal, but one offering warmth, protection, and provision for lasting relationships, kingdom offers a communally oriented foundation for mutuality, justice, and the restoration of faith and society. That's a long sentence, but that most important part there is warmth, protection, provision. That's what we're talking about when we use that term, kingdom. Families, Yes, families are the first places we are called to serve our neighbors. And right here in America today, we hear stories of families separated at our southern border, detained in unsanitary conditions. Families separated by incarceration, with families of color suffering at disproportionate rates. Many parents struggle with finding enough work to support their family, and many work without adequate insurance or medical leave. Families struggle. And family is more than just parents and children, siblings and grandparents. Family are often those people who've come into our lives, who share with us joy and pain, who give and receive, who rely on us and we them. Some are married into the family, some adopted. Some come to visit and just never leave. When Ivy and I met, we knew we wanted children, but... That was about all we knew. There was not necessarily a well-thought-out plan. How many kids? Don't know. Seminary? Never heard of it. But two people fall in love, and eventually you meet the family. When I met Ivy's family for the first time, 
Her mother asked how old I was. Then she fed me. I met her dad and brothers. There was always food around. We flew to Florida to meet my parents, and we caught a baseball game and went to the beach with my siblings. I met her aunt and uncle in Miami. More food. It's how they show love. It's how they welcome. Maybe your family is like that, too. We visited my grandfather, who was in the hospital at the time, and Ivy gave him a massage. He loved her from that moment on. So did I. But, you know, families are not always rice and beans and pollo empanizado. That's fried chicken. Families can come with conflict, too, as well as differences, disagreements, rivalries, and resentments. And this week we hear this well-known story from Scripture about a family. I'm sure you know the story well, but I want to lift up a few things here. The younger brother calls to his father and asks for what is rightly his, his inheritance. But in this cultural context, upon the death of the father, the family property, though we don't hear about the mother in the story, would be divided into three shares. And the oldest son would receive two, two portions or two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would get one-third. So to say to the father, give me what is mine, is to wish he were already dead. The father doesn't seem to argue, allows the insult, and gives the son what he asks for. He's set up in the story to be a bad guy, this young son, this selfish one. The son takes all that inheritance and goes far away, far from the community, far from the people of God in that place, far from his family of origin. And what happens? Well, he wastes it all, right? He didn't earn anything. He didn't build anything. Didn't do any good. Wasteful. He squandered everything his father gave him. Right? It's true. Dr. Mark Allen Powell shares on this text, though, that our own cultural context matters when we read this scripture and others. But he asked folks from three places around the, uh, the globe, North America, Russia, and a country in Africa, I think it was Tanzania, the question was, why did the son find himself in this way? Why did he find himself in need? And he received three different answers. Those from Russia noticed from scripture, well, there was a famine in the land. It says it right there, verse 14. He couldn't get any food. Of course he was in need. The African audience responded, well, no one would help him. It says it right there in the text. That's verse 15. And of course, verse 13, most from North America answered, notice that one, the way we most often do. He wasted everything. It's his own fault. Three different answers depending on your cultural context. Have you had a family member that made you so mad you wrote them off completely? Have you been estranged? Have you refused to talk to them because you know you're right and they're wrong? Might we find a way to see things from another perspective? Is there no possibility for reconciliation or room for forgiveness? Are we so sure? But well, we know that the young son insults the father in the story, deserts the family, does some things the gospel writer can't even mention. Then he comes home. He humbles himself. Does he repent and apologize? Doesn't even have time. 
before the father is running to grab him, to throw his robe around this lost son, to bring him back into the fold, to welcome him into the house and throw the biggest barbecue they've ever had to celebrate his return. Dr. Audrey West from Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago writes that this younger son came to himself. It says in the text, we could say that he remembered who he was. The older brother in the story is sure this younger one is undeserving, and when he gets wind of this feast taking place, he refuses to make himself a plate. He won't share in the joy. There will be no welcoming for his sibling. He's the one that's done everything right. He's followed the rules, waited his turn, worked hard. He didn't get a reward for good behavior. Not even a goat for doing what he's supposed to do. Why should he care that his loser brother is back? My brother, Josh, and I are two and a half years apart in age. Growing up, we shared a bedroom for a decade and a half and more. He was taller, stronger, athletic, a better baseball player than me, for sure. We spent a lot of time together and would, on more than one occasion, end the night with a fist fight. It's true. I think things got better as we got older, but as adults, we are still very different. We don't agree on everything. There's still things that need to be healed between us. But he's my brother. I love him. We are family. But having those memories in my story helps inform how Ivy and I raise our kids. We try to teach our children to be kind to one another. And they wrestle, they compete with each other. Feelings get hurt sometimes. One's a biter, you can guess. <laughs> they are us in so many ways, like it or not. So I view my role as their father to be the one to love them without condition, to communicate that love in word and deed, to give warmth, protection, provision, to share God's love with them, to teach them to serve one another and the neighbors around them, to care for the world, to remind them who they are, loved by me and their mother, beloved children of God. This older son does what is expected. Maybe he's not looking for a special reward, but when the younger one gets something, his true feelings are revealed. He gets resentful when the younger son seems to be rewarded, even though he stepped out of bounds. The younger son hopes the father will allow him to come and work just as a servant on the estate, knowing he's done wrong. The story is shocking, scandalous even, because the father welcomes this son back home. The one who was lost is now found and welcomed in without expectation. This father runs to show unconditional love, displays radical hospitality, gives more than anyone could imagine, and throws the welcome home party. Neither son should have a party, really, if we're honest about it. This gift is undeserved. The love shown by the father is outrageous. It's extreme to see this man running. They didn't do that in those days. If you were a wealthy landowner, if you had cattle, if you had a family in a large estate, you, you wouldn't be caught running. If anyone was watching this, this display, their jaws would be on the floor. What is this guy doing? Families at their best remind us of who we really are. When we are the people 
when we are with those people who know us better than anyone, that welcome us always with arms open, who would give everything to care for us, we're equally reminded of whose we are. Jesus tells a story. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom by calling to himself friends and followers, disciples who would be family for him, ones for whom he could give warmth, protection, and provision. Above all, love, grace, and abundant life. And he does the same for every one of us, welcomes us in with outrageous love and grace. In baptism, where we are adopted and called his beloved children, I guess, like it or not, that makes us family. Some might struggle with this idea that the church is a family when our families remind us of painful realities, strained relationships, and bad memories. Maybe we don't want that from the church. Maybe we want it to be something else, somewhere to get away from our family of origin. But like a true family, the church is the body of Christ to love and serve and give, to care for little ones, to speak hard truths at times, to work together for justice, to pray together for peace, to humble ourselves together at the foot of the cross of Jesus, where we receive that outrageous, scandalous welcome, where all our mistakes and failures are forgotten, remembered no more. This is a family where every time we come home, the Father runs out to greet us, to wrap arms around us before we can even speak a word and welcome us into the celebration of life. Amen.